contingent veterans, and everyone who's ready to change their lives. Welcome to the Christina Silva Show, educating our veterans live. Join your host, Marine Corps-trained motivator, Christina Silva, as she connects with experts, innovators, and military heroes. Now, let's get started. Here is Christina Silva. A combat warrior, a combat pilot, a Marine, a soldier, a woman, a warrior. Today on the Christina Silva Show, we're educating our veterans live with the story of Olivia Chavez Carroll. Olivia is a 22-year Marine Corps and Army veteran, and she's here today to share why she's passionate about creating the Veterans Awareness Project, and she's also going to be telling us more about how she's going to change the world through different chapters of her life. Welcome, Olivia Chavez Carroll, to the Christina Silva Show. Thank you so much, Christina. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Olivia. What we have in common is in my heart and soul forever. It's the bloodline of being a United States Marine. Can I get a Semper Fi? Semper Fi. Hurrah. Outstanding. Over the years working with our Army and our elite Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, and the Army has been such an amazing and tremendous feat, giving back in the charitable world, also as a federal contractor, a mom, a wife, and a host. How does it feel to be able to have so much in common with me and to meet again after we've known each other working with women veterans the past 15 years? It's amazing. It really is, especially as a sister in the core. It's even that much uh, more palatable for me because there's not many of us. And back in 92, when I joined, I honestly thought that there were a a lot of women vets. And little did I know, there were very few Marine Corps women that had joined at the time. So yeah, so this is pretty pretty amazing. I love it. Great. As a native Californian and also someone I look up to in the industry of giving back, Marines and our service members really want to learn from subject matter experts that have empathy and compassion because they've served as well. And our military is great at vetting agencies and personnel and also their comrades for being authentic and true. I just want to thank you for your service and for coming on live today to share a portal of truth and also integrity, altruism, and a continued commitment to service. Uh, it's, I'm very thankful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Tell us about San Fernando, your family, and growing up as a girl in San Fernando. Well, San Fernando, the city of San Fernando, the San Fernando Valley are my heart. I'm still, to this day, I work closely with the elected officials in that area. I am blessed to have uh, fellow sisters that were, you know, that I went to high school with that are now, it's the Assemblywoman Luz Rivas, as well as uh, Monica Rodriguez, who's on the Los Angeles City Council. Nuri Martinez, who's the president of the council, she was, uh, I believe, a year or two before me. We're very fortunate to have Alex Padilla. I mean, all of these people that were so that are so such a, a, a big part of California went to San Fernando High School. We are all San Fernando Tigers. So you can Google San Fernando High School Tigers and you will see the plethora of people and leaders that have come out of that school. It is, it's been a blessing. And to be able to go back to my hometown to offer my services to my community, you know, both in English and in Spanish and to, to get my, our world to understand what the civilian life is like, again, because it is different. We are different. And we come from different areas of the world. We come from different nationalities. But when you go home, there's this thing where you, even you expect that it's going to be the same. But when you've been gone for four years, eight years, or 22 years, 
things change, things build, things come down, and the world itself continues to move on. And, and that's where I think that for my experiences in the military, to be able to come back to San Fernando and offer that expertise, it's, it's invigorating for me, and it'll always be my home. Olivia Chavez Carroll, that means you're married and you have a commitment to the world as an individual, a family member that's married to the community. And also, we want to salute all that have served from every era and every branch, including your husband, who is also an Army soldier. Doesn't that feel good? It does. It does. Americanism. We are very, we are patriots. We are are true patriots in the fact that, you know, I love the fact that I, I, I truly share with people that I'm a, a nonpartisan person because I believe the veteran, the veteran centric person has to be that way. You have to be willing to work with everybody because we are representing everyone. If it wasn't, you know, as many people say, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be doing this. If it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be doing that. Well, everyone can, can say that, but it started with our greatest generations. You know, the generations before us that fought for freedom for this country. And, and to know that my husband and I have a lineage, my family, there's, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to have to send you a picture, but I believe we have 17 veterans in my family. That and most amazing. of them are Marines. My brother's a nuclear-powered engineer vet, uh, vet from the United States Navy. So it is pretty fascinating. My, my, my grandmother, God rest her soul, just passed recently. And, you know, her ch- grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, to be able to say that they all have served in the military in all, all three generations is, is pretty, pretty spectacular. That is spectacular. And it goes without saying the depth of our thank you and thanking a veteran. It means so much. I get chills and I feel so accomplished and so whole knowing that I gave back and gave it all for the military, but some have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And with every show, we have a prayer, a moment of silence and a moment of heroism where we celebrate. And today through your story, we let America know what it means to serve. So thank you for joining us today and remembering with me the yellow feet on Paris Island to start the legacy about Olivia Chavez Carroll. Girl, what did you do on those feet? Oh, I just, and I went back. I have a picture of the first time I went back, which was almost 20 years later, that I remember. And I remember, I still to this day, I looked up videos of, of coming off that bus. And I remember, I remember there's th- four of us women in the back of the bus. We all made a pact. We all had long hair. And we're not going to cut our hair. We're not cutting our hair. And only one out of the four of us actually made it to the end. I cut mine right, right before we went to third phase. I'm like, cut it off. Just cut it all off. I can't handle it. Um, but we'll I remember that. blue crabs for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hello. Um, I was not going to have that. And that's exactly what I thought about. And I remember specifically those yellow footprints. I didn't realize what that meant. Because I'll never. You'll never put them back on the same way you, and you will never go through those, those um, silver hatches ever again in your life. And that's so true. So when I go back, it's just, it's nostalgic. You know, you go back and you watch these videos and you're like, I remember that. Oh, wow. You know, it's like these aha moments. And as much as the core has changed and as much as it's changing, there's still that element, you know, that sisterhood, that brotherhood that never goes, it'll never go away. You know, it's truly once a Marine, always a Marine. And so when I tell people, I'm a Marine and I, and I flew Chinooks in Afghanistan for the army. They're like, well, how can you be both? I said, because you always, I am always a Marine. I will always be a Marine. And so I I thought, and I, I flew actually other Marines and when I was in Afghanistan and it was funny because they, some of my other fellow, my, my soldiers would say a double dog and they would all turn. And I knew they were talking to me, but they were trying to make a point right to, you know, PFC truck telly that was sitting on the ramp waiting to get on my aircraft because 
they were not allowed until the pilots said they could get on. So it was pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. Totally amazing. A Marine once and always and a soldier for life, you became a combat pilot. And that is no easy feat. In fact, you are the first of color woman to do several things in the military. Let's talk about some of your MOS specialty highlights and some of the persons that impacted your life while you were serving in the Marine Corps first, and then we'll get to the amazing U.S. Army. So in the Marine Corps, I was the, well, when I arrived at my first duty station, there was one other, there were two women that were there. Uh, one was the gunny. She was the legal gunny. And there was another one that worked in my S1 shop. But then once they PCS, I was the only female in the barracks. So I was the only female on naval base, Yokosuka, Japan. So if I ever did anything, it was, well, you know, there's, the, it, she was a female Marine. Like that's all they needed because they already knew it was me. And that was good. And it was extremely bad because you had to toe the line. And I, was, I wasn't very good at that. I, I, I had a hard head and I had an NCO tell me, hard head makes for a soft, you know, you know what? And so I was like, okay. And I kept saying, okay, but my head went north, south, but my brain went east, west, like whatever, I'm whatever. And I, I, I got this, I know what I'm doing, but I wasn't, I wasn't accustomed to this Marine Corps man's world mentality. I'm like, what do you mean? Why? Cause I said, so go do that X, Y, Z, you know, like I didn't, I truly took every value of what orders were to heart. Like you don't question, you just do, you don't. And so when I started uh, really learning the culture of the Marine Corps, I started realizing that I had to learn how to ask for what I wanted, but find new ways to do it. in. And so that was the, really the beginning of my leadership journey was I thought that some of the things we had to read were dumb or this is stupid and this is ridiculous and why do I have to do that? And ironically, my best friend, she lives uh, in, in Charleston, South Carolina. Her son just graduated uh, from his MOS school. And I told him, make sure you read Message to Garcia. Make sure you finish your, your first two MCIs, which is finance, leadership, Make sure you do terrorism. These three, you're going to need to pick up lands. It was, and he said, oh yeah, I really need to do those. Oh, they're also making us take math, he said, or whatever course. But I thought it was so funny because here we are in 2020 and I'm telling a young PFC what people told me that I thought was ridiculous. And I realized going backwards, like, no, this is important. My, my entire staff, when I was teaching MVMI, which is the North Valley Military Institute in the San Fernando Valley, the staff, my friends, the other fellow coworkers were starting to read message to Garcia when I handed it to them. I said, oh, this was mandatory reading. And they read it. They're like, this is really good. We need to get our kids to read this. I said, exactly. But just to have that come full circle 25, 30 years later, that is true. That's one thing about the Marine Corps. We are all about tradition. Everything we wear is about tradition. Everything we do is, I mean, I think we, I think I counted, like we've only had five uniforms in the last 50 years. And that, a lot of those changes had just to do with the Desert Storm, Desert Shield, you know? Most definitely. What an incredible account of the value of Marine Corps service, the instilled values that change us once and for always for the better to become true leaders and groundbreaking women in the military with even the threat to close Paris Island and make a combined 
male female boot camp. I would fight against it, but I also believe there is true value in combining the service because once a Marine, always, I mean, we are trained the same. And the opportunity in today's world, 2021, to excel and become combat pilots. Share with me some of the things you learned from male Marines that began to respect you later during the eight years that you did serve. Knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, to me, knowledge is power because that is what changed when it came to my voice. It didn't matter that my, my rank, my rank didn't matter. What mattered is I knew what I was talking about. I was secure in it. I was, you know, and even the, I remember the Sergeant Major at, at, in Dallas, Fort Worth, when I was stationed there, when I first came back to the States, he's like, we need to talk and you need to come see me. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, OJ, what did you do now? Like in my head, like, what did I do now? Because in Japan, I was so used to constantly, I always had, was doing something. I always did something wrong. And, and it was just because I, I didn't know how to have a thought process and I didn't know how to have a filter. Just put it that way. I had zero filter when I was younger. And so I had to start learning that I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? And so I went in there, I reported and he, you know, gave me his spiel and he said, he goes, I really want to know where you came from. I said, excuse me, Sergeant Major. He said, because most people that come in here don't speak the way you do. But it was because I was like, you know, sir, and I, and I was very, sir, with all due respect, da, 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 I need this, I need that. I understand that I want you to be able to not to get paid, not get a no pay due, you know, just whatever the, the situation was at the time. But I spoke with conviction. And that was because I, I knew what I knew. I knew the world. I was all about, I still am. Ask, ask my folks. I'm all about the regs. What does the reg say? This is what the reg says. This is what you're going to do. I can't help you. That knowledge, that's what's powerful. Having the knowledge to be able to stand there and in your own conviction and in your, you know, and in your dignity and pride, you can do that when you arm yourself with knowledge. That is so profound. Knowledge is power. We hear it as a cliche statement, but when you know the regulations and you are having military bearing of a Marine and you're talking with upper leadership, it is a way to evolve and to navigate the pathway, not only toward your rank and promotions, but towards respect. Because there is a difference. And you said earlier in the Marine Corps man's world, it was really hard to become a WM and be a woman Marine, have the emotion, but also the conviction and the empathy and the power to move like a male Marine. We're all Marines when we're in our uniform. And we're expected to uphold the same standards per those regulations. And I want to applaud you for that and being able to say it so eloquently that we had to work harder as female Marines. Because when it came down to the regulation about separating because of pregnancy or needing different rules and having unique benefits, I hear you sigh. I had to live (laughs) through that hardship during the era we served in the 90s. It was a volatile and changing world during Desert Storm, Desert Shield, mm-hmm. and the War on Terror. And it's, it was. Why did you make that sigh? <laughs> well, my son was born in Japan. And I remember I was already married. I was all, I mean, I was a married Marine at this point. I'd already, you know, I got pregnant. Now, which my rank son, did you join the military? And, and when, when you ended in the Marine Corps, which were your ranks? Because that's so very I, important well, I, to hear. Oh, well, I, I entered just as I entered as a just a regular private into the into boot camp, but I graduated top 10 upper, top 10 percent honor grad and I was the high shooter for my platoon. So I graduated with a promotion. So I actually came out of boot camp with as a PFC okay. and then I rose to the rank of corporal and I, I was an NCO. And so 
I remember I had to be a corporal to get married. That was where the rules at the time. So, and then we had to go, they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? We're like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. That's just another story. But so I married, I'm doing my thing and I find out I'm pregnant and I knew it. Like I just knew because there was, it was just different. I just felt different. And so I kept it a secret as long as I could because I was scared. There was something innate about the fact that I knew that the moment they knew I was pregnant, there was going to be drama in the waters. And sure enough, we had to do a ruck march. And I was already three months pregnant at this time. And I finally was like, yeah, I can't do that. Um, he's like, why? And I did, I'm, I did not like telling my senior, my NCI, my staff NCOs. I told my NCOs, the, the sergeants, they were, they were my protectors. They really did protect me. I, I, I wouldn't have made it long, far without them had I not had them. And sure enough, most of the time they were scolding me about something I said or something I did or something I wore or whatever. But they were there to protect me from myself so that I could figure it out in the process. And I, as soon as I told my, my warrant officer, the adjutant, he asked me, are you going to keep it? I was so insulted because I thought, I'm only... I wouldn't have told you if I wasn't, and that's none of your business. And, and why are you asking me that? I was so just angry about the whole situation because, and the only reason why I had to tell them I was pregnant is because my staff NCO was like, well, I don't, I don't have any proof you're pregnant. I was like, the things I wanted to say to him, I was just lucky that when I did get pregnant, the things I did say to some of these people, I was allowed to be like, I'm so sorry, it was hormones. Knowing, yeah, no, it probably wasn't. I mean, you know, you never know. But I was so upset and frustrated. And then what, after I had him, I had him, I went into labor as NCU, NC, um, duty NCO. I was the duty NCO and went into labor on the quarter deck. Post five is like, ma'am, what do, you, what do you want to do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, you're going to call the OOD. I'm going to talk about this in the book that I had him call. I'm like, unless you're going to deliver this baby right here, you're going to call somebody. And they told me to be proud. That's the other thing. You should be proud. You know, you worked at work till the day you delivered. I'm thinking to myself, um, and in Spanish, it's called Siete Nacino, which means my son was born early. It had been seven months. And so they're like, yeah, be proud. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be proud that my son is an incubator and, ha- and has severe jaundice. And I need to be proud because I worked till the day I delivered. Like, are you a moron? That's how I felt. And then, you know, the getting back in shape thing, you know that you get six, six months and you got and no. You're not allowed to have a, a profile. You're not, nothing. You have to be like right out of boot camp again after that six months of having a baby. And they just didn't get it. It was, and it was, it was tough. I did it. I did it because I was going to prove, I was always about proving somebody wrong. And so I was like, I need you to weigh me right now. They're like, oh, you got a couple of days. No, 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 no. Weigh me now. So I thought, shoot, I'm going to drink a glass of water and my weight's going to go back up. <laughs> so weigh me right now. I mean, I had to weigh 127 pounds after my son was born. It was ridiculous. I have to say ditto, which is a shame, but we love our Marine Corps just the same, but we get Mm -hmm. to share the stories after service called Triumph. And also because the Marine Corps has come a very long way since the 80s and 90s, we're talking with our expert and leader, Olivia Chavez-Carroll, who's giving it to us raw. And why we're giving it to you raw is so that you as a civilian and as a military comrade can know that educating our veterans live is to give a perspective to new legislature updates and also to empower are you if you're in the military right now that you have a voice through knowledge and also through getting together to talk with your comrades for 
resilience, and creative solutions to your dilemmas and to your victories. How do you feel talking about your story today, Olivia, on the Christina Silva Show? Honestly, I'm, I'm, well, one, I want to say thank you because you, for me, it makes it easier because you understand, you know where I'm coming from. Um, I, I, it makes me feel good because I, I, one of the things that I tell many people is the Marie, I was raised in the Corps, but the army gave me my career because had I not had the foundation that I got in the Marine Corps, I don't even know where I would have, I don't know where that, where my life would have been. And I don't know what I would have chosen after 9-11. So the Marine Corps gave me a foundation that I know I needed because I didn't go to college right away. I went straight into the Marine Corps because there was something bigger that I knew that was out there. I just couldn't explain it to anyone. I just knew that my life was beyond borders, beyond what I could see. And I needed some way to take me there, you know, and that was the Marine Corps. Cause, and, and I didn't choose, I had no intentions of going to any other service if I couldn't get into the Corps. That was just my family lineage was the Marine Corps and I was going to do it. And I became the first woman in my, in my family. And now I believe there's three or three of us, three women from my family that are in the Marine Corps. The life of a true warrior takes again, (laughs) empathy and circumstance. And we are talking with you to find double service in two branches that are the most fierce together working forces on the planet, the army and the Marine Corps. Now we're going to get into your MOS as a combat pilot and how you went from enlisted to officer candidate school and you redeemed your benefits in between having the courage to join the military after the most astounding traumatic event 9-11 we have seen in American history, you decided to go to the army. Tell us about the branch and what led up to your decision after you earned your AA degree. Actually, it was international studies. Yes, I was um, really into political science and wanted to learn about our, all the, the, the laws, the policies, how it worked, why it was. It's always been a very, uh, a very passionate subject for me. And so I was actually at the University of South Carolina and I was there for an international relations program. And. USC was, is known to be the number one school business, international business school, and their international programs were the elite. So that's where I went. And 9-11 had happened a year prior, obviously, before I left. And I was struggling with, what do I do now? What's, I, had a, I was a single mom by this point. I had my son. We're traveling across the country. And I, kept, I was missing something. I always had this nagging feeling when I got to, to South Carolina I was lonely. I was, you know, obviously alone because it was just he and I, but I was lonely in a way that I'd never really felt before. And so when I ran into a few people that had already talked about the National Guard, this was the South Carolina National Guard, I decided, well, I'll go check it out. You know, what, what's the harm? I can do that. They, I, they introduced me to a program called um, Try One. I literally, they're like, you can try it out for a year. And if you don't like it, you can just, that's it. I'm like, okay, well, what else do I have to do? You know, cause I was a little concerned. I'm like, I'm not going back to basic training. I need that BS. That's what I said. And they're like, oh, you don't have to, you were in the Marine Corps. Marines don't have to go to another service. I was like, Heck, yes. Okay. I was, that was all, I was all about that. So I said, okay, I'll try it. I got my uniform and the very next month I was at drilling and this was on nine 11. So this was, I actually signed my, I have a picture where I signed. I mean, I, I, I swore in on nine 11 of 03. And I chose them because it was an option, you know, it was a decent option for me because the Marine Corps still to this day, they don't take prior service very often. So 
it wasn't like I could just go to the core. So I decided I was like, I'm going to stick this out. I can do this. And I went to an aviation unit. And at this time I was already over the age, like I was over 27 by this point. I was in my going into my thirties and in the Marine Corps, you have to be an officer, a commission officer by age 27. Well, that wasn't going to happen. And so I just kind of pedaled along and thought, okay, I'm, I'm kind of learning people, figuring people out. I be, I'm going to be very honest. That was very judgmental because this Marine had no idea, had no clue what the national guard was about or the army. So I had all these little like side conversations with myself about what am I doing here? But then I realized how big of a family they were, not just, I mean, just, they've all known each other. The, the national guard is you're used to knowing everybody in the at unit for so many years. And there was a, 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 a black Hawk pilot. He was the only black African-American black Hawk pilot in South Carolina. And at the time, his name was Captain Priester. Now he's a Lieutenant Colonel. Hands down. It, because of him, because him to ask you, Hey, I thought you, I heard you want to go to OCS. I said, yeah, I do. I said, but I'm too old. He said, not in the army. I said, uh, uh-uh. he said, are you sure? Are you? And so he, two months later, I was in OCS. And to this day, I mean, I, Colonel Priester, um, Captain Acock, who became a Colonel also himself, you know, the, these were two black gentlemen that were, that understood me as a Latina coming from California. I was so not from South Carolina. So the simple fact that I became a commissioned officer was huge. The fact that I was going to become a pilot as a commissioned officer and not as a warrant officer was a bigger deal because I've had, I had many people ask me, Hey, you know, if you, if you go ahead and just uh, resign your commission, we'll make you a warrant. I said, do what? No, 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 no. I was like, I worked too hard for this commission. I did. You do not know what I had to do for this thing. Uh, uh-uh. And I, I stood my ground. I said, this is what you promised me. This is what you're going to do. I, and by this point I had already learned tact a lot, <laughs> a lot better. So I could have these conversations with these high ranking officials and demand the fact that they honor their word. They did. I mean, it was difficult, but they did. And I, I did, I got to, I went in and I, I, I went, ended up going to Fort Rucker and I learned how to fly Apaches. Um, there was some tough, it was rough. I'm not going to, I can't sugarcoat that. It was rough. I didn't come from an aviation background. I didn't come from an aviation family. I was older than everybody there. I was the only female in my classes and I was the only one in the national guard. Oh, so anytime they would say something like, Oh, who's here's the national guard or reserve or whatever. They're like, Oh, it's the female. And that's what I was called the female. Like I was, I didn't have a name and, and it was real frustrating. So after I, I started flying and then um, about 30 days before graduation in the Apache, I was, um, I had to come out of the program. I came out of flight. I came out of the pro that the Apache program. And that was tough. Um, I really never talked about that. Um, but it was tough because there were, it, I was 30 days and there were people that were given extra hours, people that were given 30 extra days and I'm severely left by dominance. So I was struggling in one part of the program, but that was it. So I ended up after time, I did some, I did my appeals and whatever. And the, and I appealed to the top dog for flight school. And he's like, all right, I'm going to give you your wish. I'm going to give you what you've asked for. I'm going to let you go into another, into another um, airframe. But it took time. It took a year of appealing. It took a whole year. And I was like, hell or high water. I belong here. I, I, I get it that I'm not part, I'm not cut from the same cloth as you, but I deserve to be here and I deserve this opportunity. And I fought for my opportunity and I graduated and became a pilot and went off to Afghanistan. Literally I had orders. I graduated October 1st. I had orders to Afghanistan November 8th. That is unspeakably wonderful. And the 
duty that comes with saying what you're saying encapsulating into just the advocacy and the appeals and fighting for your right as an equal female wanting to become this combat pilot, you really were signing up for putting your life on the line with your comrades. And the army is just that big family. But Mm -hmm. when you look at what you have given your life to sacrifice and go and do, would you change anything? And what would you say to Americans that are free that you continue to give because of your service? The only thing I, I don't know that I would really change a whole lot. If anything, I would probably look deeper inside myself. And, and if anything, I would change, I would take myself more seriously because in the beginning I didn't. I was a young kid. I mean, the frontal lobe is not even developed until you're 25, regardless of your sex. And you sign your contract, you go in, bright eye, bushy tail. I just honestly, I just was like, woohoo, I'm gonna be a Marine and not realizing what I was getting myself into. And, but had I taken, even when I left, even when I went to school and had I really taken myself seriously, I think that maybe I could have developed myself even more than others. But Honestly, we are our past and I wouldn't be here, I think today, ha- if I were to change anything in my past. Well, we are talking about the nuts, bolts, and the actual foundation of the character of Olivia Chavez Carroll, our captain retired from the army and our corporal from the Marine Corps, a mom, a wife, an author, and a host, not to mention the founder of the Veterans Awareness Project. She's now going to share with us the deeper sacrifice of being injured while deployed at a peacekeeping mission we remember. In Afghanistan, I asked permission if I could talk to you about some of the traumas that you've overcome. We've already talked about military sexual potential traumas, gender discrimination, the divide between male and females in the ranks. And we've talked Mm -hmm. about your sacrifice raising a son down to the day you went into labor on the quarter deck. There's nothing that can stop you, Ms. Olivia. Are you ready to tell us about some of the stories and how you were injured in Afghanistan? Sure. Sure. I, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, Thank you. One of the biggest um, for me was I, I sustained a TBI. We had a mortar attack and I didn't know, obviously nobody knew it was a TBI at the time, but we had a, we were in Bagram, Afghanistan. There was a, an attack on base and I keep my rack because I wanted to have, okay, typical woman here. I wanted to have more square footage to walk around in my little eight by eight B hut. I had the guys help me um, create my rack like seven feet in the air, which was fine. I'm small. I could get up there. I fit whatever. Well, this particular day, when that happened, I mean, everything just felt like it came out of the ground, like boom, and I came out of my rack and I was stuck inside the sleeping bag and I couldn't, there was nothing for me to hold on to. There was nothing, no way to stop the, the, the fall. And when I stuck my hand on my, the top of my head, all I could feel on the back of my hand was my black, um, Tampico box, you know, your, your Cantico box, the big black one. And I just laid there and the girls laughed like, oh my God, what are you wonder woman? You trying to fly out of the bed, you know, to save everyone. Cause they said that they used to tell me I'm trying to save the world. And I, I just, I was like, oh, whatever, shut up. And I, because I was playing it off. Cause I was scared. I, I, I was afraid to move. Cause I didn't know if I had injured myself and I didn't know how bad. And so I said, no, I said, just give me a second. I'm fine. But that's when I started feeling like my eyes started to hurt. Like, I was like, shoot, I just like, I think I just, 
I, and I was afraid, like I, 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 you know, I did the things I, t- I wiggled my toes. I wiggled my fingers. I'm like, okay, you know, the process, do your process, do what you know. Okay. So I'm like, don't move your body. Don't move your neck yet. You know? And like all that training, even for this, even all my first aid training kicked in, like, okay, all right, now, now slowly roll, like pick your knees up. Okay. Like I started from my legs down to see, and then I was able to move around and I was okay. I did mention it the next day to, to, to medical and they're like, oh, okay. So they sent me, they're like, nothing's wrong with you. They put me back in the air. I was like, okay, I'm just, it wasn't until I didn't, they didn't, they didn't diagnose me with my TBI until well after they diagnosed me with my, with PTSD. And my headaches were so severe. My like the uh, they thought that that's what it was that the 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 headaches I was having had to do with anxiety or whatnot. But it got to where I was disorganized. I had to get new glasses. Um, they even you know they're like so they sent me to when I was in uh, North Carolina we're at Fort Bragg. My husband was stationed at Fort Bragg. They sent me to an um the vision or the blind clinic, and that's when they're like she needs to get. Um, a TBI testing. And I did. And they said, you do Yoda, that your, um, your effects were late onset. Um, because it wasn't like I stopped functioning. It was just something sitting there. And then um, that was hard. I think the hardest thing for me, because I feel like I felt like a, a, there's a lot of times I, I even now feel like an imposter. Telling this story makes me feel like I'm not worthy to tell my story because there are people that have a TBI that struggle to talk. I do struggle with my words. I, I struggle to, you know, find the words. I'll be talking to my husband about something about the neighbor. And I'm like, well, you know, who yeah, over there, what's her face? You know, like, and my friends will tell, everybody will tell you, like, I just, lo- I forget what I'm either, what I'm talking about, how I'm talking about it or what we're, you know, it. And so that gets frustrating. And so I've had to learn, I, I've gone to a lot of therapy. I, I recommend everybody to go to therapy. I mean, if you were ever in a military, if you were ever in uniform, go to therapy, go, go to talk therapy, go to whatever, go to a group, because then you start figuring out, and this is so dumb to say, but people say, what is this supposed to mean? Then you find out what you don't know, right? So you can't ask questions. If you don't know, how do you know to ask? Like, I tell people that all the time. If you have no clue, you will never ask the question. You know, as a seasoned, um, you know, veteran supporter and, and, and someone that does service benefits. I know what questions to ask. The vet doesn't. So when I went to go do my own claim, I was very frustrated because I thought to myself, hmm, now that I think about it, when I went to go do my claim, this guy at this, I'm not going to name the, the organization said to me, okay, well, is that all you want to claim? And I'm like, well, I guess. I mean, I was out of it. I was so drugged on whatever medication the VA had me on at the time. I mean, any seasoned person could have said, like, do you have, like, depression or are you on medication or nothing? Didn't ask any of those questions. And so it was like kind of sort of compounds these situations. You know how slow the VA works. It's uh, something that I hope we can, you know, really change in the next few years. But, you know, having that understanding, sharing people these types of stories will say, hey, you know what? That happened to me. But everybody told me I was nothing was wrong with me. Always go back. Keep asking the questions. There are hard questions and you're going to get annoyed and you're going to get frustrated, but keep asking. There's always going to be a way if you stay true to yourself because there's no point in suffering in silence. And I did not understand that until very late in my career because I thought I was being a baby, a snitch, um, a, just another girl, a woman, uh, you know, like if all of these terms were negative, right? That's how I felt about myself. So I always went till it was extreme, you know? 
Luckily, I did eventually go to the doctor so that when I came time to my claim, I was able to get my 100% disability, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. You, 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 it, takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to go to the doctor, but do it. People will say what they'll say, but at the end of your career, you want to make sure that you're protected. You know, I, I, that is one thing that I will always encourage people to say, to do is make sure you get yourself taken care of and always seek out proper mental health because it's like having a cold. You're going to go see the doctor if you're not feel, if you have a fever. Well, you know what? Just think about it as when your brain starts acting crazy and you start having weird thoughts that maybe you shouldn't, you, you even, you think to yourself, like, I don't know if that's such a bright thing to be thinking about. Then look at it as a fever in your head because then you're going to let them figure out what's wrong with you. Olivia, you are such a leader and you have a way of articulating with TBI exactly your feelings. You're still direct. There's a level of comedic smile in your voice, but there's also the determination to, for yourself, protect and also to make sure that you get and utilize your benefits. And that plus all your life accomplishments makes you a wonderful advocate for some of the collaborative projects you're working on. Thank you for sharing such a candid and transparent story with us. I'm uplifted and I want as an advocate to know that I have a sister like you who was in arms and who is now in the civilian world as a federal contractor making a difference. How can we make a difference and why do we make a difference? I like to make a difference by being the platform educating our veterans' lives so you can tell your story. And you have done such a great job today. And I like to, because we can stand up for legislature. Now, California has most veterans in the world in one state. When I was serving at CalVet, like you were currently serving as the Women's Leadership Council Chair, we had 343,000 plus veterans, how many of which we don't know, actually claim, utilize, redeem, and become healed from their benefits. Tell us what you've done with the Veteran Awareness Project, even the mission continues, and other organizations like CalVet that you're working with to reach more veterans with your story so they can file their claim. So one of the things that I, I as a, you know, having this platform to be the chair of the, of the California Council, what we have done is we revamped and revised. So what we're doing is, we have 58 counties in California. And so if anybody, ladies, if you're in the state of California and I don't care what county you're from, reach out to us, reach out to the council because we are looking for women in all parts. And there, many of our Northern California counties tend to not get as much of uh, the information or they feel that they're not getting the support they need. Well, this is your platform. This is the platform that's going to give you the support that you need. We're looking for representatives in all 58 counties as well as so they can be part of our additional uh, committees with federal and state legislation, with outreach, with um, spouses and families, the and fundraising, print media, um, you know, social media, media, this, you know, uh, media like this. Um, when we work with each other to make a better difference for all of us. Currently, we have 163,000, actually more than 163,000 women vets in the state of California. Only 18,000 are registered with CalVet. That number has to change, and that's one of our initiatives. And so what I'm able to do is I'm able to cross over my, the initiatives I work with by platforms. So for instance, if I'm working on something with the Veteran Awareness Project, it's something I can share with CalVet and with the other, my other partners. If it's something with CalVet, I can post on my personal page. I can post on the Veteran Awareness Project page. I can post on, you know, the wellness shop. It's a, I, I work a lot on sharing stuff about self-healing self and, and self-love and self-help uh, with our self-care um, page on Facebook. So 
it allows us to cross that, especially with our with our older vets, you know, with COVID, with everything going on. It, those platforms allow me to share information to more people because there are people that don't want look at Facebook. There are people that don't look at Instagram. There are people that don't look at LinkedIn. You know, you have all these platforms. And then you have people like my Atomic Vets that I'm really working hard with on my federal contracting position with Khaki International is Atomic Vets range from over 100 years old. So from 1945 to 1992, uh, veterans who were participants in atmospheric or underground testing of, of the nuclear bomb are eligible for what's called the Atomic Veterans Service Certificate, AVSC. And that is coming from the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. And those initials are DITRA, D-T-R-A. Now, I, what's so important about this is to have a participant to know. So for one of my, one of my mentors, Mr. Gigger, again, San Fernando High School, okay? He was a bandmaster at a San Fernando High School. We run, I want to say we won like 15 championships under his um, guidance. And I actually became a director there as a a drill team director and we won as well. And so um, he was an atomic vet. I didn't know that. He was a participant in in, um, many blasts as the bandmaster. And so he got his certificate and he's been able now, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but his wife, Mrs. G, is able to use that with the claims process to prove he was there. So you see, I know some people may be upset that this is all they get. No, it's not all they get. Where you One, their service should be valued because this was such a top secret program. They never got to talk about it. You know, that's part of their soul resting at peace when their story is truly told at the at, at every level. And so the, the, those that are still holding on to that secret can talk about it and may not know it. So we, I reach out to the children, the grandchildren, the great grandchildren of these vets to ensure that they are represented at this level, but as well as they can receive the certificate that is signed by the, the department of defense, the, um, Secretary of Defense signs these certificates and we send them out. So I just believe that whatever platform you're on, if you're on multiple platforms, it gives you that many more ways to reach other people and don't stop talking about it because we will have veterans for many years to come. Olivia Chavez Carroll, the Women's Leadership Council Chair, the San Fernando, California native, and also the founder of the Veteran Awareness Project. In short, let's talk about the mission of your charity and then we'll move into yourself as becoming a brand new author. Tell us about the Veteran Awareness Project. The Veteran Awareness, was pro- the Veteran Awareness Project was developed out of um, not knowing what my services, what I had. Uh, my unit was out of South Carolina. My family lived in California. There was a disconnect. I, my family did not know who to connect with. So when I developed the Veteran Awareness Project in 2012, I decided that would be my mission. My mission would be to share these benefits with everyone and ev- everyone I, that could, I could speak to. If you were affiliated with the military, if you had a family in the military, you had a brother, a sister, because the veteran nucleus is all about how one veteran intimately affects five people. So imagine five people, you yourself, Christina, you, you affect intimately five people, but you, those five people also affect others because our children are affected, our spouses are affected, and they in turn affect others. So it is so important that they know that in California, you, you know, if, if a veteran submits for their, um, their benefits, and even if they have a zero percentage, 
their children can go to a Cal State or a, or a state university for free or a community college for free in the state of California. In Texas, they have other, other programs. In you know, all these, these different states have different programs, but the federal government is across the board. So we're willing to even do some of that research for them on different states. But at the federal level, it's very, it's very uh, since it's unified across every state, it allows us to be able to give that information to veterans at, and their loved ones. So we don't, we don't discriminate against age, demographic, war. It doesn't matter. We deal, and if you have bad paper, we help. We, if we can't help you, we'll find someone who might be able to help you, and, and then we move on. You know, we're all, we're all about those soft contacts and making sure that we do some soft handovers. So it's not like, hey, call so and so. You know, don't not we don't do that. That's not our job. Like those words do not come out of my mouth, and they sh- will never come out of anybody that works for us. Because our job is to help each other heal and help each other get to level up in life. And, you know, that's what I love about my project. And we we're focusing right now, working with a, a, another fellow veteran, um, Elizabeth Yao. She, um, her and I have, have really working to develop a program on diversity and inclusion for women veterans. Because if you look at diversity and inclusion right now, it is not about the veteran. The veteran, veterans are not a protected class. Veterans are not receiving the, the respect that they deserve at, because if they did, we wouldn't have as many homeless veterans just in the state of California. And it is because we're not receiving the services within diversity and inclusion. We are actually excluded. Most definitely. Certifications, councils, causes, classes, and the masses. We are advocates educating our veterans live. Today's special guest, Olivia Chavez Carroll, is the founder and creator of Veteran Awareness Project. And she's giving back for her fellow comrades as female Marines, soldiers for life, and also the atomic veterans, those that served during an era of 1945 to 1993. 22 years of military service means the 22 in one can also be reduced. She's also passionate about suicide awareness, overcoming with TBI, and writing her story as a chapter in a book by Lila Holly. Share with us what's happening behind the ranks. Wow, this is volume four for, for Lila. And I, you know, if it wasn't for her, I, I probably wouldn't have got this first step. And I, I'm really appreciative. It took me actually two rounds. I tried, I was going to do volume three, but I couldn't get the story out. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get, I wasn't ready. And uh, plain and simple, God was just working on me and I wasn't ready. And when I finally was, it came out, the story came out, it came out fluid. She's an amazing mentor when it comes to the writing, into the writing field that I would recommend any of the women. I know that she's going to have a volume five. So I definitely would recommend other ladies to, to, to be part of this because she teaches you the process. You're not just writing and submitting. You're working with the editors. They're sending you back the information. You're learning the process of becoming a real writer. And for me, it's catapulted me into really allowing myself to envision my next book. And, you know, she, Lila continues to, to teach us and, and direct us and, and, and bring us together as a, as a group. And, you know, Camouflage Sisters is her organization. And she, she really has that. We, we get together, we do, you know, fire talks. And I, I'm just blessed to be part of one, one of the 11 co-authors of this book. So I'm really excited. We're currently in pre-sale and, you know, more of my story and more details are in there. And I was really happy that this was about resources and transition because I'm a true believer that we transition in our life all the time. I don't care if you're buying a new car. I don't care if you're buying a house, getting out of the military, or, you know, you're working on yourself. We are in transition every day. And if we start looking at it like that, it doesn't feel like such a bombardment to us in, in emotionally. 
we promise our listeners every week that we're educating them live about resources and also about the gumption and the will to ask for help. So you have been an example of employment, education, housing, and health by breaking the silence, helping others, and starting with yourself first, doing something about it. From Marine Corps training to your Army stint as a combat pilot and a female that is making history during Black American History Month. It's also female history each and every day as we transition. There's no easy feat when you're high heels to a skirt, to your devil dog uniform, to your army soldier greens, right? We have to keep on making change happen because we are doers. So let's hear a little bit about what's coming up for you in 2021. I hear there's a master's degree in the weights. Yes, actually there is. I was very, very excited. Um, I I had, tr- I had truly tried to refocus in prayer uh, whenever I'm feeling like things aren't going my way or they're not happening because I applied at two other universities. And you know what? I, I wasn't accepted and I felt like a failure. And I told, I, I told very few people that I even applied for my master's because I didn't want them to look at me like I failed. And, you know, I realized that, you know what? It's because it, that wasn't where I was supposed to be going. I, and, and when I got accepted to, I, I got accepted to, to the Jack Welch military, uh, I said this earlier, military, the Jack Welch Management Institute. And it's the number one, it's the second, it's the number two school in the Northern, in the Northern Hemisphere. I was like, okay, uh, I think that's great for me. You know, I, when I got accepted, I actually thought maybe I got accepted like on a provisional scale. I, I, don't, I just did. Cause they're like, oh yeah, uh, we already sent you your stuff. We blah, blah, blah. You know and I'm thinking? Okay. So I was very weary. I wasn't sure, but yeah, so I, um, I got accept, trust, but verify. That was kind of what my brain was thinking. And yeah, so, so I will be, I'm working on my MBA in leadership. And I've really learned in this one, literally this one class called leadership in the 21st century is amazing. I mean, we had speakers like Warren Buffett, the CEO of FedEx, the CEO of Boeing and, and Jack Welch himself, some of his recorded items, but it, it was just, it's amazing to be able to have that and see, you know, like for Black History Month, the new CEO for Walgreens is, is, a, is a Black female, you know, this is where I needed to be because this is how I'm going to be able to make some more decisions in the future uh, about where I want to go next. So yeah, so I'm working on my MBA and I'm also, um, I have already know that I w- I'll be writing a children's book. So I started that process with a, a dear friend of mine, Graciela. And Graciela has uh, Captain Mama out as another book. And it's a children's book. It's bilingual. She's the first female pilot to have this book to come out in bilingual. And I would be the first a female helicopter pilot to have a bilingual book. And so she's going to help me through the process. So here we have another veteran, right? So Lila, and um, with the with the with the volume four uh, behind the rank and now Graciela Soto with the um, with the children's book, because I want girls to know that we matter and you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose between your heritage and your love of this country. You don't have to choose. And it is OK that you can be a pilot and still come home if you want to wear a skirt, you choose to wear a skirt. It is okay. If you don't, if you want to wear pants, it's okay. But we need to start sharing that image with our, our daughters, especially our daughters, because we are, our daughters, regardless of their nationality, are going to be 
full, the culture is changing. Like our culture, just as people, as human beings, is constantly changing. And so when these young girls are, you know, grown up, they need to, they need to know, you know what, I can do that. And I don't have to choose between one or the other. And that I think was key for me because that's how I felt. I kind of felt like when people, I, when my fellow Marines and soldiers have found out that I, I danced professionally for Ballet Folklorico Olin in the city of San Fernando, they were really surprised. They're like, you dance? I said, oh yeah, I'm on YouTube, look. You know, and I was like, you know, after Afghanistan, I went on, did a show for Mariachi Divas. So I, I just, having that artistic piece of me is another thing that helps me a lot. Um, I know they make fun of, they make fun of Marines and all of our crayons, but look, I'm here to tell you, my crayons keep my mental health in a good way. So if that's what it takes, <laughs> then color. But I, I, again, you know, when it comes to that, I've learned not to be ashamed that mental health is so important because it used to be so taboo. And, you know, our children have mental health problems. It's because we are all going to have bumps in the road and that's okay. Well, fans, this is the closing of the Christina Silva show with Olivia Chavez Carroll. She has shared with us so many highlights from her life. And for, from what's to come, we can look at her Estudias Internacionales, knowing that her international studies are going to make a difference. Have the courage to ask for help and make This Is My Calvet your Calvet. Go on to calvet.ca.gov if you've served to start your claim, to follow up on your claim, to get gainful employment tips, education, housing, and health updates. Just like Olivia and myself, you can become a VA homeowner when your eligibility is sure, and you can also study to get your own master's degree, just like Olivia. Be encouraged, and if you need help, remember the crisis hotline at the VA it's 24-7 available to meet you where you are at 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. Now, Olivia, we've had a great show, and I'm going to give you the Marine Corps test of making a one-liner safety tip to our audience from your life to the ears of everyone listening on Voice America. Take it away. My safety tip. My safety tip from Olivia to all of you is to take yourself seriously and ensure that wherever you're going, that you will arrive safely and that you will arrive with humility. Like our combat pilot, let's fly high and thank everyone that is serving. Remember our families that serve and also that it's important to care for yourself. Mental health is key. And with the Christina Silva show, we'll bring you more experts, subject matter experts that care resolutions and creative resiliency each week. Olivia, thank you so much for being with me today. I hope to see you in many women's forums of the future and keep on listening to the Christina Silva show Wednesdays at 1300 hours each and every week. Be safe and we'll see you soon. And don't forget to get your copy of the book Behind the Rank Volume 4 on Venmo. Right, Olivia? Yes, ma'am. Self-care fun at self-care fun on Venmo, please. Thank you. Simplify. We'll be back next week with more of the Christina Silva Show, educating our veterans live. Hua and Semper Fi. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Christina Silva Show. Be sure to check back for new episodes every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon and Semper Fi. Mm-hmm.